upon a star. Now we want you to share with us our latest and greatest dream. Disneyland. Just go to Action Park, there's no other park like it. Six Flags Great Adventure. It's not a world away. Paramount's Kings Island. We will officially open Universal Studios Florida. Hello, I'm Michael Eisner. Now, here is your host. Hi, welcome back to the Defunct Line Podcast. My name is Kevin Perger. Today we are back with Brian from our episode two days ago, and we are going to just straight off continue our discussion, starting with Son of Beast. Man, this is a big one to start with today. <laughs> it's uh it's the big the the biggest, baddest, longest, fastest everything. And <laughs> it's the most everything. <laughs> it is the most <laughs> it is the best at being the most, and it was the worst at being the best. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's a tagline. I love that, it. Yeah, the best at being the most and the worst <laughs> at being the best. That's awesome. What what are your thoughts yeah. on this attraction? So, um Son of Beast you know, and, and the background, and I know everyone here has watched the episode, but um, the Beast is this phenomenal, historic, incredible, terrain-hugging wooden roller coaster. And, you know, to ride on it, you are truly submerged down in the tree line of this dense Ohio forest. Um, you're darting in and out of caves and tunnels like a, an unbelievable experience Uh, it's nearly 40 now and is still the longest wooden roller coaster on earth which is just so incredible when you're leaving the station and they say we'll see you back here in four minutes and 45 seconds or whatever it is (laughs) um and then comes paramount uh who brings with them all of their movie making style and says we need a sequel uh they build the tallest, fastest, second longest, leaving the record to the beast, um, and only looping wooden roller coaster in the world. Um, I mean, the thing about Son of Beast is it's exactly what you would expect from a 200-foot-tall wooden roller coaster that's going almost 80 miles an hour. Isn't that it's, it's awful? It's awful. I mean, <laughs> it's a nightmare. Um, and, like, I was... A, a young person and I very much enjoyed it and I know a lot of people did because it was that true maybe I shouldn't say true but breakneck thrill <laughs> um, you know had a crazy construction with pieces and parts falling during construction um, and ultimately just kind of became known as one of the m- most intense roller coasters in the world a big accident, uh, saw the loop removed, even though the loop didn't have anything to do with the accident uh, directly, and kind of a very strange story of this giant, colossal, larger-than-life roller coaster that tried so hard to uh, to be everything, and it opened the same year as Millennium Force, you know, which is three hours away, so it was like this battle the largest tallest fastest wooden roller coaster the the largest tallest fastest steel coaster just a few hours from each other uh a real testament to the coaster wars not as interesting i will say as the burger wars um (laughs) 
if you watch the Mac. Nothing is. Nothing is, if you watch the Mac Tonight episode. Oh, I said his name. The comments are going to go crazy. The, um, <laughs> anyways. Uh, yeah, but Son of Beast is a, was a crazy coaster. It was, it was weird in that they, they wanted to make a sequel because I think they just wanted to make a coaster and put it in Paramount Action Zone and they couldn't figure out anything else because I mean, Paramount's a small company um, comparatively to Disney or Universal. Um, right. So they were using like Face Off and Drop Zone or something. Movies that you would go, wait, that's a movie? <laughs> yeah, like Drop <laughs> Zone starring, let me look it up. Yeah. No, I'm literally going to look it up. Drop Zone starring Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes. And Yancey Butler and Gary Busey. Uh, yeah, or Gary Busey. A real box office hit. Yeah, 38% on Rotten Tomatoes. Great <laughs> drop tower. But it. I, yeah. my favorite little anecdote about that ride is that it went from Drop Zone Stunt Tower to Drop mm. Tower Scream Zone. Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> um, only the beginnings of the brilliant naming conventions of Cedar Fair, uh, who came in, bought the park, and had to strip all the movie themes. So you get, you know, wonderful uh, wonderful renamings like Top Gun, the Jet Coaster, becoming Flight Deck. Uh, just brilliant. I, I, I just love how Paramount was... I, 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 and. You know, you are lucky in that your medium is articles. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have to say these things out loud. You just have to make sure you spell them correctly. Um, yes. I have to say some of these things. Uh, yeah. Apart from Imagineers' names being very hard to pronounce sometimes or, you know, not uh-huh. sure. Uh, I got Marty Scar wa- wrong once because my editing program put a Y and, and so I called him Marty Schuyler. Um There was a – oh, who else? Uh, Joe Rohde, uh, Joe Rode. I mean, those, yeah, that's a tough one. those are hard. Um, Tony Baxter, it took me forever to get that one. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, what is, what am I going with this? Oh, to, to say Paramount's King's Island. And so if, so if I wanted to say Paramount's King's Island's drop tower, it's <laughs> like I'm Paramount. So I think at one point in the video, I just kind of just go with it and just go, and this was Paramount's King's Island's Drop Tower. <laughs> and it was just, it's so many. That's a lot of S's. I never did think about it. And uh, here's a little fun fact about recording for any of you that really care about behind the scenes stuff. Um, I have a slight whistle when I say S's sometimes. Um, everyone does, whether you realize it or not. But mine is gets a little bit more prominent. And my microphone, the new one that I just got, loves it. It loves that little whistle, so it just it captures it and just <laughs> exemplifies it. So I actually have to go in and put what's called a de-esser. And uh, th- those of you that know audio will be like, yeah, everyone knows what that is. But those of you that don't, no, no. And it's something that will go in automatically and take out every time I go, every time I say, like, Paramount's King's Islands. So <laughs> there's my uh, little rant about my... Behind, behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, yeah. It's the magic, right? I'm creating magic. <laughs> yes. I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm creating magic about magic. Um, anyway, where were we? Uh, let's go on to, well, Son of Beast is crazy and we could talk about that for days, but, um, let's just try to get into Body Wars and Wonders of Life. Wow. Body Wars was doomed from the start by Star Tours. Yeah. That was so weird. And, uh, you know, there's something weird about the sponsor of the Wonders of Life Pavilion actually requiring that Star 
tours open after Body Wars. And I'm not sure that they were on the right track there because that just made Star Tours, you know, cover any existence of Body Wars. Right. Um, and maybe they would have had to go afterwards, but I I don't even know. I mean, you have. I don't think two, there's a right answer. You have two of the same simulators in the in the same within you know the same Miles. resort. Yep. Um, and I think it was it was basically just doomed. I mean, you weren't going to be more popular than the new cutting edge thrill ride based on Star Wars. And certainly not with a trip through the body. No. And you know, there's there's uh, interesting information that I'm sure we both covered. There's um, frames missing because at some point Disney was just doing anything it could to try to stop this ride from basically making people throw up. Or killing people. Uh, yeah, I mean... Because it, cause didn't a, a little girl did pass away on it. Yeah. Maybe it was a little boy. A child pa- died um, due to, of course, pre-existing conditions as they always are for you conspiracy <laughs> nuts. Um, hmm, pre-existing. Mm, no, but... <laughs> pre-existing that sounds odd um no but a little thing on those i've talked about this in the past um but yeah no they again they just to finish up on body wars Mm -hmm. real quick um they they yeah they took out a few frames well they i don't think i think they took out a segment yeah it wasn't just frames it was it was like a part where you rocked back and forth and they took it out and they just crossfaded it so "Eh, you end up with a weird jump cut and then you're back to just rocking forward and backward through the bloodstream a family adventure. Uh, um, but I was going to say about the uh, the injuries is that, you know, people don't understand that at Disney World, um, Orange County, isn't that where Disney World is not, is it Orange County that like oversees these things uh, in Florida? I guess it would be if it's not the Reedy Creek. Right, Reedy Creek. But let me, let me see, is uh, Orange County, Florida, uh, I'm pretty sure, I might, I hope I'm not getting this mixed up. Um, uh, what, where is it? Okay. It's the County seat in Orlando. So I imagine that this has some sort of jurisdiction over Disney or whatever. Um, but because there's so many amusement parks in Orlando, uh, Orange County has required that any accidents be reported Mm. and then those are released to the public. Right. Um, which is because, you know, they're very cutting edge in their theme park laws go back to Son of Beast and realize that, oh, the Department of Agriculture is still doing this stuff. Right. Because we're going back to fairs and, yep. you know, Ohio never prepared themselves to have three amusement parks. Um, yeah. But Orlando kind of saw the boom and was like, hey, we got to regulate these. Um, so, and I don't know what Anaheim is, but, they, you know, they release these things and you wonder, um, of course they're going to report and investigate every single death. And, of course, they're going to report and investigate every single injury. But what they don't report and investigate is near death and near injury. And if we could see that list of every time someone has almost died or almost been injured, I would love to read that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm I'm fascinated by, you know, theme park accidents. And I, I try to treat them in the series as serious as they are. I mean, these are people's lives we're talking about. And, you know, there's no need to, you know, like... Uh, you know, uh, what is the word, uh, exemplify or, uh, use them for stories. I just find them fascinating because they happen within these attractions that have their own histories. Um, but I mean, these are real things and that's why people got mad at me. We'll get to action park, but that's why people were 
from New Jersey didn't love Action Park episode because I said, like, these deaths are serious and no one seems to take them seriously. And they're like, that place was awesome. And I'm like, right. Yeah. But people died and these people, like, lived and had lives and families. And that's, you got to treat them with sincerity. And same with America Sings. Not that I would have ever, you know, said America Sings was a high thrills attraction. But it was like, yeah, you, you have to take a step back and put a disclaimer or say something like, you know, treat it with, you know, some sort of gravitas. Right. Because Absolutely. It's, yeah. And I, and I don't know how many times you've had to deal with, you know, talking about death within the articles. Yeah. I mean, it's very infrequently. Yeah. But you're right. And it's it's a balance. And it's, I mean, f- for all of these attractions, the end result is just that most people have never been on something that does to their body <laughs> what Tower of Terror or Mission Space does Mm -hmm. and you add in adrenaline and you add in you know the high thrills and whatever and and you know it's it's horrible obviously i mean for all of us to to have to hear about that sort of thing at a place that we care so much about and plan to continue to frequent yeah exactly and i mean it's no i mean these it's no coincidence that oh they they had they were gonna have a heart attack no matter where they were at this point right like they were clearly it's because of the ride but it was because of a pre-existing condition not right. to say that these rides kill people not to say body wars killed killed that poor child right it was just a it was a horrible combination of things yeah um and that story is also awful it is the saddest story I've ever read in during my research before. The story of that family. So if you want a downer and you want to educate yourself, (laughs) uh, go look up that and you'll you'll have a swell time uh, (laughs) empathizing for that tragedy. Um, Let's move on to Earthquake, the big one in disaster. Well, this one is really cool because what this story basically revolves around for me is the idea that Universal attempted, and obviously we can say that they probably determined it was not a success, but attempted to take an aging attraction, a very self-serious special effects demonstration, and basically said, what if we took it and just made it a joke? (laughs) Like, what if we kept the same basic concept, the same special effects, the same demonstration, but instead we're like, yeah, this is pretty hokey. Let's just laugh at it together. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how successful that was. I always liked disaster and I liked the, the choosing people for different roles. And I I thought that was fun. Um, I don't think it was timeless. I don't think it was brilliant or, you know, anything like that, but I know the jury's out and a lot of people think that was just such a skippable experience. So what are your thoughts? I don't know. I don't know. It's a, I don't, I was never thrilled. Wow. I really just exemplified that word thrilled, thrilled, (laughs) um, by the concepts, the, even on the studio tour, the tram tour, it's just, uh, things are falling around you. Yeah. Cool. Like the, 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 the thing is that the, the disaster was really fun and parts of earthquake were really fun. And so the ride itself is really cool, but you get to this point, you know, you see all these fun little things. You've had you've had interactive activities, and then the big climax is like uh, some, you know, oh, it's a rock and it's moving up, and there's a flood, and you know, it's impressive, but it's not 
it's not the climax to me you know it's it, yeah. it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like a like a natural ramp up they're not preparing you for that um right. and but then you guess you get to see yourself in disaster so i guess that's kind of you know the the, the nice conclusion but uh it definitely i, I never thought that they should build Earthquake, like build an attraction around that one part of the tram tour, or you know, it's just that was one of the weaker opening day attractions, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely, and it's one that wasn't really expanded. Like they took this single scene of Jaws attacking you on the Hollywood tram tour and made it a ride. They took a single scene of King Kong and they made it a ride. For Earthquake, they basically just recreated the exact scene but put pre-shows before it. So, right, exactly. That's a good way to put it. Um, next is Disaster Transport. Uh, the not the song Disaster Transport. Which, is that a song? Uh, yeah. Have you? You need a. You need to go to Defunct Land. Um, I'm so sorry, come, I missed this one. Come visit. Um, <laughs> this was one of the, my favorite episodes. It's very fun. Um, we I I had a I had a band make me an '80s esque song called Disaster Transport, very techno space age. Um, it's very fun. It's you know the, we even have specific lyrics for Disaster Dave. Uh, we accidentally call Alaska the fiftieth state when it's actually the forty ninth, but that was already <laughs> recorded, so we released it anyways. Um, yeah, it's a it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's uh, I'll called, tune in. It's called Disaster Transport by um, by Disaster Dave. I think is what they the band went under that name for that song. But yeah, no, not the song, the ride, the ride. And you grew up in Ohio, so you did you ride this? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, um, multiple times. Disaster Transport is just a weird story, and one direction to come at it from was um, the CEO of Cedar Fair, the owners of Cedar Point, of course, um, saying, let's do theming. Let's do it. Let's have our own star tours roller coaster and you know so already you're starting off with this idea of like let's make a generic version of a thing um but just ended up being i mean it shaped cedar fair for the rest of its history up until today um which will become super important when we talk about tomb raider um, because it's it's that same idea of it just at once they dropped any hopes of theming anything. It was like they were had been burnt by this experience. Uh, you know, there was no effort whatsoever to keep up any of the quote unquote special effects. But I mean, in its early days, it had a few animatronics. So you end up with basically a roller coaster through just the dark, uh, a queue line that has the foundation of a story or special effects even though it was a weird story you know as the song will tell you um about ending up in alaska and just a a totally discombobulated experience that then informed their treatment of any kind of story or theme or special effect thereafter yeah and so weird and different and I mean, not different. Sorry, bad. That's what I was looking for. Um, it's, uh, it's wacky, weird. bad. Like it, it's off. funny, bad. It's like how you intentionally watch. Yes, bad movies. Yes, yes, yes. I was just about to say that it is, but it's only funny because you know they were serious. That's the thing about yes. like the Sharknado movies. We even talked about this in the last podcast, Robo Shark. Um, 
that they're not funny. I don't find Sharknado movies that funny because they're ma- they're doing it on purpose. Right. Now, The Room and Neil Breen and Cool Cat and all those videos. I love YMS and Red Letter Media, The Best of the Worst, all of those great movie reviewers on YouTube. Those are funny because they're made by crazy people yep. that think they're great filmmakers. And that's what Disaster Transport was. It was a ride made by people trying to be Disney and thinking they're succeeding. That's exactly right. And it's awesome. And yep. it's so funny to watch. It's like it's it's like riding the room. Yes. Yeah, very uh, so, much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think that's a good way to transition into another movie, uh, Captain EO. Yeah. Um, ugh. Um, what do you have to say about Captain EO? It's, I, 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 I love Captain EO for the behind the scenes. The product is, eh, it's okay. I mean, the, the dance, the, the music parts of it are really good, but it's kind of wacky. And anyway, you, what are your thoughts? I mean, for all the effort that was put into Captain EO and trying and to make, and money, a lot of money, trying to make this cinematic experience it really was a music video, uh, a sort of a poorly done story with a music video tacked onto the end. But, you know, you have to applaud the ambition. Um, and this was the this was the start. So, you know, in the last episode, we mentioned Videopolis and and Michael Eisner going, we got to get the teens in here, you know, in the 70s this decade between Walt Disney passing away and Michael Eisner's start, Disney had just totally stagnated. There were so few hit movies. The parks were becoming relics of another time. And Michael Eisner was the one who stepped in and said, we have to do something about this and we can make these parks into places that have the stories and characters and, 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 settings that people care about today which was you know the 80s and so that's how you end up with star tours and and alien encounter and indiana jones adventure and captain eo was like videopolis it was like this is a thing we can do quick because we're a few years off from getting anything star wars off the ground it's in production it's happening but like, let's make something that we can get into Disneyland today. So in that way, I mean, that and Star Tours together are the attractions that reshaped Disney parks and turned them into what we know today. So uh, weird story, weird behind the scenes, weird product. Uh, So, you know. Yeah, and I did a whole month on this, so I don't really have anything more to say on it. Um, we can just move on to Action Park. Do you, Have you ever looked into Action Park? Well, I think you can't be a fan of theme parks or maybe amusement parks without seeing the picture of that water slide. Well, it's, <laughs> it's yeah, that, that, there's your, uh, I know the roller coaster. That's the hook. The, yeah, well, the roller coaster community calls them GP, general public. Yeah. Um, which is so rude and mean, and that's why uh, the roller coaster community makes me mad sometimes, because I'll do a video <laughs> on a roller coaster, and they'll, I don't know if you've ever been called, you're so GP for for getting the exact uh, exact measurement wrong or something. Yeah. Um, I avoid those communities, but I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And, and they're all welcome here. It's just, don't yell at me, please. Right. Um, love you, but stop. And yeah. this is the, if there was of the theme park and 
extinct attractions and stuff like that, it, this is the only thing that the majority of, I think, the public know about, is that picture of that looping water slide. Yes. And people don't know what it, where it's from. People don't know what it is. Some people have watched Good Mythical Morning. Some people have watched the Daily Motion thing. But if you weren't from New Jersey or from that area, very few people knew what Action Park was. They just yeah. had seen that image. So, um, yeah. And we and I did like a 17-minute video on it. Do you have any specific uh, thoughts or opinions on it? I have never done an in-depth feature on the park. Uh, there is one on Theme Park Tourist, not by me. Um, and I think there's a lot of sensationalism and a lot of very interesting stories from that place that go beyond just the rides, but are like stories about employees and things like that. So, uh, totally worth a 17 minute video. I mean, it's a really crazy kind of story to tell. Yeah. And I could have gone even further in depth if there was more information out there. Yeah. Um, but I mean the, the, like the, the hardest thing to find was the fighting ring. There was like a, there was like a, some jousting kind of esque, like, you know, cushions, gladiators, thing. gladiator. Yeah. Yep. That's the word. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, that, that I found out afterwards was themed to like something different one year. Eh, it's weird. Yeah. Um, especially when people are just kind of flying by the seat of their pants, making <laughs> parks, like yes. a new slide there, a new slide there. I'm like, I'm trying to write all this down. Stop. <laughs> it's very difficult to keep up with you when you just randomly throw slides and don't hire engineers and don't have blueprints. Right. <laughs> um, so moving on to Beetlejuice's graveyard review. Yeah. You know, um, I guess that is a, I mean, it's very fun and I like the call out to Universal's classic monsters, you know, you can't beat a show that's got the Bride of Frankenstein and all that. So it wasn't something I saw every visit, to be very honest with you, but I definitely liked it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it got awful towards the end, but it started really, you know, like a a very solid, you know, theme park show. Um, and, And it was, I mean, they have these at Cedar Fair parks all across the United States, you know, these kind of, um, oh, well, I'm just walking by, you know, I see that the show's coming on in five minutes. Right. Um, I can just, you know, chill out and, you know, watch this, maybe cool off. And, um, but they put so much production value and so much, you know, rehearsing and makeup and it was just really a, a true cinematic work. That's that they what made. it comes down to. Yeah. And that's why Universal can compete with Disney today is because that's how they started. Right. You know, they said, we're not just going to do what these, uh, uh, we're going to go straight. We're going to go straight to where Disney is and we're going to do exactly the production value they do. And Beetlejuice Graveyard Review shows that even in their more, you know, random attractions. And it's, you know, mirrored with Ghostbusters Spectacular as well. Sure. Um, Okay, so top five extinct attractions, uh, extinct walk-around characters. Um, please uh, just tell me your favorite extinct walk-around character at Disney Parks. Man, you know, I was a child of the 90s. And I, even though in retrospect I can look back and think of it differently, I sure did like meeting like, the Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers at MGM Studios. That was very flavor of the week, you know, and that's what MGM Studios is and or was or is, we don't know anymore, but um, that's that was just right for me. Yeah, 
I mean, those are the two that I didn't talk about in the video. So you, good job on cherry picking the ones that I didn't cover. Well, you um, know, I... <laughs> I'm just, I'm giving you a hard time. No, uh, yeah, my favorite would have to be Dreamfinder and Figment. Oh, of course. I mean, that's, that's gotta be, I've always, I mean, I think if you go to Epcot today, I mean, with the arts festivals going on as a great example, if it was your first time, you'd just go, why does everybody love this purple dragon so much? <laughs> like that ride is terrible. Why, why are people? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm, uh, I'm doing an episode on that this season. So who oh boy. Yeah. Um, was it, did you do the, was that your Lost Legends Journey into Imagination? Yes. Good work. That Thank was you. very, very helpful. So good, good work on that one. Um, and we're getting towards the end here. Drock and Fire. I mean, that one is super cool for, uh, that story, I mean, it's really cool for the people who are roller coaster enthusiasts uh, in the classic kind of sense because it's such a mixed up story of one very well known prominent roller coaster manufacturer copying another very prominent roller coaster manufacturer and not doing it well. So, uh, Drakenfire, us, uh, those of us who've been on a lot of roller coasters, as I know many people listening have, know that a painful steel roller coaster is a totally different experience than a painful wooden roller coaster. And when you can look at the track ahead of you and see a bad transition, a bad angle coming up ahead of you, bracing yourself and slamming your head back and forth on those over-the-shoulder restraints, I mean, I think that was Drakenfire's M.O. Right. I mean, it was just such an odd design. And the, the behind-the-scenes... Uh, both my video and your article probably come under a little bit of criticism um, because we use the mainstream storyline that was, you know, that has now been debunked, I guess. I don't know if you ran into this. Um, the whole, you know, well, B&M was going to do this and then Arrow was going to do this. Uh, Arrow was, it came in to do it instead kind of thing. You know, Has that been that? debunked? It, it's a, yeah, kind of. I'm okay, not so doing this, my due diligence, obviously. No, no, you are. It's fine. Hold on, let me explain. Okay. <laughs> the um that is the that is the story that has been told for years, and there has been like a small group of people that care about that a lot that have been like researching and said that's not actually what happened, and they're like they they try to point out like certain codes and certain times that this was gonna come out, and this was they were building this, they wouldn't have known about um Kumba, and you know there's a lot of technical stuff, and it's all he said she said, but the mo the more interesting story is the one. This one is is the one that both you and I told, and I, I feel as though it's the more true one because we actually had, I mean, not maybe it's not a hundred percent true, but it's definitely the one that makes the most sense. It does, and when you look at that, it was the only time that Arrow has used the supports that Drakenfire had, which are B and M style supports, or that it was the first and only time that they used some of the inversions that B and M uses. Uh, I don't know. I mean, do I think that they had the blueprints from B&M? Probably not. But I, I, I really would put money behind that they were doing their best to create their version of a B&M roller coaster. Right. Uh, that's. I mean, it certainly seems like that's what was going on. But apparently, yeah. we're we're that's that's why we're GPs. That's exactly right. <laughs> um, let's move on to the fantastic world of Hanna Barbera. The this set the groundwork for plug and play simulator. Yeah, it did. 
So, well, what are your thoughts on Fantastic? Did you you haven't done a Lost Legends on Fantastic? I haven't. Yet. No. There's not a lot there. Um, yeah. Of information. There's no story. Certainly, it was a the only. I mean, the story is that it was the only ride on opening day that was working really well. Yeah. Um, it it was it was the saving grace of Universal Studios for those first opening months because you know Back to the Future wasn't even open, so this right. was the only simulator. Um, and then you know Earthquake was having problems. Um, um, Confrontation was having a ton of problems. Jaws was literally about to close because it was having so many problems. Um, and it was just this one was just the war horse, and it just did its job, and that was it. Yeah, and, and I mean, it. as the like origin of that plug and play, it's so interesting that the first thing that they did to it when they replaced it with Jimmy Neutron is the exact same thing, where they were like, we have this access to this library, let's throw them all together into one simulator. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I think it is memorable and beloved by by a generation for a reason. I think it was a fun ride, and I think it was it, cool to see all of your favorite cartoon characters in one place. Right. And now I don't think they could ever have that ride still being there. They replace it with Jimmy Neutron's Nicktoon Blast, and then eventually uh, Minions Mayhem. Which feels that... much more permanent. It fe- but not really. I'm not. In my, I mean, it feels. Um, I mean, it feels like that property could last a long time for sure. Yeah. But they didn't really change too much. That it's you know it's the same you know areas. It's like true. Your, like you, your queue, your pre-show, and uh, is there two pre-shows in Minions May- Minion Mayhem? I think there might yeah. be. Yeah. One's kind of a holding room, but yeah. Right, but anyways, um, yeah, I I I, tr- I think that. Uh, it can still be plug and played pretty easily, more more easily than some of the other IPs that they've been doing. Like it's gonna be like uh, Jimmy Fallon. That's gonna be a hard ride to replace. You have elaborate, you know, theming and cues shows right. there. Um, but I, I think they still reserve that fantastic spot for your whatever you want it to be. What, what do you like now? Is a new new movie about? Um, I, I don't even know what it would be about. Uh, like if we knew, uh, we'd be millionaires. I know. Uh, lava lamps that can talk. And there they're you all go. cute because they have little bubbly eyes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Just look at things around my room. Right. Uh, uh, yeah, so that was it for season one of Defunct Land. Thank you for going through literally every single episode with me. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, I don't know that I said anything interesting, but... Oh, no, you did. You did. Good. And uh, it adds a lot to hear from – you can you can tell the origin whenever you ha- you did an article when you can watch the video and then go back and, oh, he wrote the article. And you can tell where uh, I picked up from or, or took certain things. I will say a frustrating thing is I love your prose. Um, Thank you. And I love your – the way that – I love your prose. I love the way you title your sections. Um, and I love pretty much – the entire structure of the way you write, and it is so difficult n- to not copy it or to after I write to make sure I didn't copy it subconsciously because <laughs> I just love it. It's just no, so, I appreciate it's, that. That's it's awesome. Very, very appealing. Uh, uh, both appealing and like appeasing. It's just it's a very soothing way of writing this, even when it's a attraction that's you know the story picks up one year and then ten years later there's the story again. It just feels so natural and. Um, very good and Thank you. very well done. Um, I will so, say that there's one we skipped. What was it? The sorcerer's hat. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> I totally forgot. Um, okay. Yeah. How's this? Do you like the sorcerer's hat? What's up? Do I like it? Yeah. Uh, yes. I love it. I think, no. It's <laughs> okay. I, okay. I was, I was very worried there. No, um, I don't know that there's much to say. Um, that hasn't already been said, but I just had to bring it up because we can't possibly skip over the sorcerer's hat, which, I mean, I feel, and you know, I feel I could probably do a seven or 8,000 word essay on the sorcerer's hat, uh, and it would all be bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. it's, it's not, not, not a fun attraction. I mean, not, not a fun icon. Uh, sorry. I mean, My, what is it? Who knows? This is a gift shop. It was supposed to have two giant Ferris wheel things. Um, you remember? Did you ever see that concept art? I did. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Um, how, where am I? Uh, oh yeah. So back to the twenty third episode, season two, episode one, the one I just did, Tomb Raider. I want you to just talk about this ride, and I've already, I, they, they already know my opinions, uh, or I'll just say them right now. If they don't, I think that ride was genius. It was genius in a couple of ways in the way they concealed it. Um, the original ride was just truly amazing in, you know, theming, um, in the different ride style. And they were smart not to tell people about the ride style beforehand because I think there would have been a lot of outrage that they were using that Huss Top Spinner mm-hmm. um, because that sounds like a dumb idea. And, and like the, the main show, while, you know, thrilling and um, well done and lights, it is kind of. It seems weird to me that they would just have, you know, oh, you look up and you look down, and but somehow it still tricked people into thinking, wow, what kind of coaster was that? Or, you know, yeah, um, it tricked people, which is great. But um, and I, the only the only thing that I have even a small complaint about that ride is the ending is a little lackluster in that the lights just turn off and the the goddess screams and then you won somehow. Um, yeah, I guess Laura Croft did it for you. So uh, just talk about this ride. I want to hear your thoughts. Uh, there's so much to say about Tomb Raider the ride. I mean, this this was to Paramount Parks what Star Tours was for Disney. It was this wild, ambitious, all-in, like, let's just do this. Um, the idea of, uh, you know, you've got Paramount's Kings Island, which is, as we talked about, a few hours from Cedar Point. So... I think that close relationship between those two parks started to make them diverge a little bit. And, uh, you know, I go into this in my, in my article, um, Kings Island was a park built after Disneyland. You know, Disneyland is this, this watershed moment. Kings Island is very obviously a park built after Disneyland. It's got a main entrance with a long street, which in this case is International Street. It's got a park icon. It has lands radiating out from that park icon. They're very obviously themed. Uh, Oktoberfest, Coney Mall, which is like a turn of the century, Um, boardwalk almost, River Town, which is an early Ohio settlement, very frontier land, uh, but forested. So the idea of Paramount going all in with this super intensely themed attraction, the kind of thing where the the scenic design, the scenic concrete, the special effects, the lighting 
costs as much or more than the physical ride itself. Very classic Disney move, right? Um, yeah. It just, there are people out there who think it was a terrible ride. I think it was a masterpiece of an attraction, and that's probably because I am of the 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 generation and the time and the age that that ride shaped my understanding of themed entertainment design. That was evidence that a ride like that could be anywhere. Because if it could be in Cincinnati, Ohio, it could be anywhere, and anyone could do this. So... You know, to not restate what you've already talked about, the idea of taking just a very simple off-the-shelf ride system, something that you will see at a traveling fair. I mean, you could unpack it out of a, a trailer uh, at a fair and constructing this massive, enormous, gigantic version of it, concealing it, putting it inside of a building like... Every everything about the way that that ride came together was just brilliant. Just to take something so simple, put it hidden away, not tell anybody what it was, just have it this air of mystery. Uh, and you know, I make the case in in my article over and over that you would be sitting on the ride and not know what it was. And, you know, the, the smart thing about concealing it inside is that once people get off, the GP, if you will, once they leave that ride, <laughs> if their friend asks, what is it? They'd go, I don't know. I don't really know. They might say it's a roller coaster. Uh, they certainly wouldn't know it's a Huss top spin. Right. Um, they might be able to explain, well, it's like a giant swing set that you, you, it, it's like a theater and it's like three rows. And I mean, it only added to the viral mystery. It was like a social media campaign before social media. Yeah. I, yeah, it's, it's so interesting that, yeah, exactly. It's, it's such a, it's one of those interesting campaigns that they did, but also just, the fact that it was just a top spinner and the top spinner, it, I mean, it was the only big top spinner ever created. That's right. Um, and it, it, it was just one of those, it's just such an interesting idea um, to use that in that way because it truly, the top spinner can do a lot of things. Um, it, it can, you know, it can put you 90 degrees facing downward and lower you. So it feels like you're just falling. Mm-hmm. Um or you know it can it can flip you upside down. It could raise you so it feels like you're rising, and it can drop you so it feels like you're dropping on a drop tower. Um, and do, you know you're gonna feel a little bit of that pull of the swing, but at least the ones I've been on, it, you you don't. It, it still feels like you're falling, and right. so it's very confusing. It's confusing for the senses because you you know you're always like, and I talk about this in a future video I'm doing. Um, next week's video, actually, or maybe in a couple weeks, we'll see. Um, it's about a roller coaster that takes place in the dark. Um, and it's very, um, whenever you're riding a roller coaster, you're always trying to anticipate what's coming next, whether you realize it or not. Yeah. Um, and you do the same thing on the on any ride. You're trying to figure out how does this work, whether your brain realizes it or not, so it can anticipate what comes next. And just an unpredictable ride experience. Um, and even even afterwards you still 
couldn't explain it. It's just, it's an incredible idea. Um, I wish it wasn't themed after Tomb Raider, personally. Um, <laughs> which is, it's unfortunate that it was, because it could have lasted, I think, a lot longer. Yeah. Um, but I guess that's not necessarily true, because they did, you know, strip the labels, make it the crypt, and just ruin it. And I yeah. love the, it went from, what, four inversions to nine inversions to two inversions to done. Yep. That's exactly right. I mean, it's just, it's, to me, one of the most fascinating stories, uh, aside from me thinking it was a fantastic ride, but that way that it changed and uh, which speaks to the adaptability of what is really just a very simple flat ride that you could find at a carnival, but just by reprogramming it, you can completely alter the experience. And, you know, that was their thought process was if we're losing the theme, let's add the thrills. Let's just turn it into a, just like the ride cycle you would see at a fair or a carnival. Let's have this thing flipping like crazy. Uh, but, you know, ultimately the giant version of the ride wasn't built for that. And Huss to this day has many rides available on their website uh, like the Frisbee, which is, you know, Kings Island has one, Cedar Point has one. This is a very standard ride where everyone's sitting in a circle facing outward. The thing swings back and forth and also rotates while swinging. And uh, kind of a weird thing is when you make these rides giant, which it's like called a giant Frisbee or a giant topspin, you actually remove a lot of the 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 thrill in a sense you remove a lot of the forces uh it just it's it's different when it's that heavy and that large uh it it can't do what a tiny little one can do when it's really going and really spinning and really whatever the case is so uh you know tomb raider wasn't built to be a crazy intense thrill ride it was definitely a thrill ride and i mean you were upside down you were hanging upside down uh, which a lot of the men always complained about. Uh, again, when you read those Facebook comments, everybody's like talking about it. Um, but I think just brilliant to imagine here we are 2002, you know, so put yourself in 2002 in the theme park industry and a seasonal regional park in Ohio has a ride that has you know, they say, and it's true, Hollywood special effects, um, a synchronized soundtrack, which, I mean, to this day, I truly think Tomb Raider's score is probably one of the most incredible pieces of music written for a theme park attraction. And again, this is in Cincinnati, Ohio. This was, wait, that was made for, I thought they just used the movie score. No, so it's definitely uh, synced up. Um, you know, there's a great moment and this is the kind of thing because I study this ride and, and imagine in my head, uh, bringing it back someday, somewhere, you know, again, we mentioned in the last episode, I said, I wrote an article about the kinds of rides that universal needs. And I did name drop Tomb Raider and say, Hey, this would fit perfectly at universal studios. I'm not sure who's making the new Tomb Raider movie, but, um, yeah. It's just that score, there's a part in it when you're hanging over the lava pits, um, you know, face down, straight at this water with, you know, incredible lighting, fog is erupting out of volcanic vents, and 
it's just kind of bubbling and simmering with this incredible shimmering effect that, you know, I'm sure you've captured videos of, which is awesome. Um, and then right when the score really kicks in is when the fountains start jumping out of it. And those fountains, the lava fountains that are coming right at you, I mean, like six inches from your face, you could reach out and touch them are, you know, they're right in tune with the, the soundtrack. So, I mean, just so incredible to think of how ambitious that was for a seasonal park, you know, right at the new millennium. Yeah, it. Tr- I mean, it, it was crazy. I mean, true, I wish it would still exist in some form because that ride style was never really used again in that way. Yeah. Um, you had Tomb Raider at King's Dominion, and there was another one that you mentioned in the article from another, I think it was an international park, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's in Germany. Um, and they use special effects with that, but I mean, in the dark, in an enclosed building, um, not, has that ever been done again? No, and and I think that the giantness added to it as well. I mean, you know, we said it, but you can feel the weight of that vehicle holding 77 riders compared to, you know, your carnival top spin that holds 23. So... 77 people in this stadium seating hoisted up 80 feet, you know, to stare this goddess in the eyes. Um, And it's interesting you pointed out the finale being weak because in my head, this, this ride is the prime candidate for projection mapping. And just imagine, you know, what mapping that, goddess in front of you could be like you know that you'd see the temple collapsing around you and things falling uh you could have her crack at the end like the wall cracks and i mean the the possibilities with this projection mapping we already know are endless and and i'm sure there are plenty of people who think it's too much it's repetitive it's being used as a as a a crutch but i think maybe this whole idea of regional parks stepping outside of their comfort zone is exactly where projection mapping can step in where practical effects can't. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I would rather see, of course, practical effects. I mean, what, what would it be like in a Disney attraction? You, you get up there and there's animatronics. How weird would that be? To have, like do a flip and then you come face to face with an animatronic. Yeah, that'd be so cool. But I don't know. We'll probably never see that, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, uh, but but I but I think projection mapping could could step in. It's, it be, it's definitely better than screens. Yeah, and you've seen you know at Indiana Jones Adventure where they've used it literally as a crutch to replace an effect that no longer works, which is sad in my eyes because I don't want projection mapping to become a thing that people shy away from or talk down. Uh, Obviously, practical effects should always come first. Um, But when Disney or others use that projection mapping effectively, it is so unbelievable, uh, which is awesome. And I think regional parks and rides like Tomb Raider could make use of that. Yeah, and you know maybe someday uh, we'll see that, and yeah. we'll see a new renaissance in the 
but Cedar Fair is going to have to change a lot. And if, I heard that uh, Matt Weeman's leaving. Is that right? So he was the president and CEO, and I think what's happening is he's going to only be the president, uh, okay. or he'll he'll have a role on the board. Uh, you, I mean, we've we've seen the difference under him, and we've seen that. Instead of just being a roller coaster now, a wooden roller coaster, we get mystic timbers at Kings Island with this whole viral buildup about a finale that takes place in a shed and what's going to happen, what's in the shed. Um, so, again, just by putting a wrecked truck in the queue and aging the station and having a few creepy effects you turn this wooden roller coaster into something that's so much more. And I think if that is what regional parks learn from the Disney model, I don't think that's a bad thing. And maybe they don't have to go full Tomb Raider the ride because to be very honest with you, I don't think you're ever going to see that at a Cedar Fair Park or a Six Flags Park um, in that same caliber. But if they can see that theming and stories and special effects are approachable and possible for their budget and their audience and their size and do little things here and there, that's a big victory, I think, for all of us who really care about that sort of thing. Well, I can't think of a better way to conclude this podcast. Can you? I don't know. I must have done a good job. You did a really good job. I think I think that was your that was your big ramp up and uh, <laughs> that was your full house moment as I as I referred to it. You yeah. know, just tied everything together yes. and uh, got gave me some closure there. So that Perfect. sounds good. Um, do you have anything else on any of the attractions we talked about on Tomb Raider on anything? I mean, I just had a good time. I hope I'm back at the end of season two. Absolutely, <laughs> I I will absolutely have you back whenever you want. Um, I urge everyone to go check out themeparktourist.com um check out brian's articles they are wonderful they're a huge inspiration for defunct land and you'll see that um and it's just a wonderful series his lost legends is great his disaster files are just wickedly entertaining um just and everything I'll say, if i can there on if you go to themeparktourist.com uh they've made sort of a a one-stop shop for all of my features uh pinned right at the top of of their featured column on the front page so you'll see it you click on it it's got links to all of them and that link will be in the description below if you want to just go straight to that after this podcast um so brian again thank you so much for giving me all of your time for these two podcasts really it's been a pleasure having you yes thank you so much i had a great time no thank you for coming on um to everyone listening don't forget to rate review and subscribe we'll see you next week with a new episode of funk and the week after that with another post episode podcast um so just thank you for listening um and thank you for visiting the funk plant.